Welcome to the Highway Hi-Fi Podcast, where we go track by track through the underbelly of music history using research and trivia to locate the roots of our obsession with vinyl records. I'm Joe. And I'm Ryan. And congratulations, you found the internet's finest podcast for music that sounds best when covered with syrup. We're gonna start you off with a little <laughs> bit of trivia. <laughs> We're gonna start you off with a little bit of trivia, get you warmed up. We're going to start with the non-audio round first, like we always do, and we're going to repeat one that we did where I took the name of an album title, I changed one word, and I gave clues to Ryan about the title. This time, we're doing that again, but we each have five of them. I'm coming back uh, at you. It's going to be kind of like, yeah, it's time for some revenge, although I think you got all of them correct. It was just a lot of fun. I had so much fun doing it, I wanted him to do it too. Yeah, they're pretty fun. <laughs> so it's basically... Record titles as dad jokes. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and go first on this one. And we'll go back and forth here until we finish up or until we really get hurt. This is a nineteen seventy triple LP about getting onto public transportation. And if you want the artist, eventually I'll give it to you, but you only get half a point. Yeah, why don't you give me the artist? George Harrison. Okay. <laughs> All things must. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not starting good. Triple LP about getting onto public transportation. Okay. We don't have any public transportation down here. I have no clue. All things bus pass. Oh, gosh. That's two <laughs> letters off. All right. Well, I'm going to warm you up easy. All right, you ready? I thought that was... A, okay, I thought that was easy. <laughs> Should have been. All right. Michael Stipe improves his internet connection. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Go through the REM albums. Let's see. Sorry, this might take a second while I run through them all. It's all right. <laughs> New Adventures in Wi-Fi. That's right. Very good. <laughs> That's great. All right. Okay. This is a Will Oldham album, not under that name, about celebrating that final sip of alcohol. Oh, man. There's no one. Why am I having trouble thinking of this record? I can give you more hints if you want, but they won't have anything to do with the... Uh, they'll just be... Yeah, give me a hint. Album. This album has New Partner on it. Oh, your gosh. Favorite, one of your favorites. Viva Last... <laughs> Viva Last Blues. Booze. Viva Last Viva Booze. Viva Last Booze, yes. Viva Last it. Booze. Okay. Whew. Man, not doing too good tonight. All right, here we go. You ready? <laughs> the Ramones have had enough of their Italian vacation. Um, adios. Uh, it's not Rocket to Prussia. It's not self-titled. One of their first four albums. 
That's, yeah, those are the ones I'm going through, and I'm, uh, okay. The Ramones have had enough of their Italian vacation. Is it chow? Something with chow in mm-hmm. it? Where do, they, where do they want to get out of? Rome? <laughs> <laughs> Why am I not thinking the rest of it? Go ahead. What is the it? The Ramones leave Rome. Oh, okay. I can't believe I missed that. Oh, man. Totally blanked on their album. Yeah, it's I tough. I think I was just, in my head, I was just making fun of you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Here's number four. Public enemy album about other people's disgusting mouths. Fear of a black palette? <laughs> oh, man, that would have been a good one. Fear of a plaque planet. <laughs> I think... I should get credit for that. Yeah, okay. You get three okay, quarters that's of the point. Pr- that's pretty good. All right. This one. I like this one. John Coltrane ranks ladies' undergarments. <laughs> it's not giant instep. <laughs> um, a love supreme. Can you say, can you give me the clue again? Yeah, sure. John Coltrane ranks ladies' undergarments. It's probably one of his biggest albums. Yeah, I'm trying to think of Giant Steps, Love Supreme. Go ahead. What What is it? This is really good. My favorite thongs. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. My last one for tonight's show, if you're still there, is (laughs) this is a late 70s album about weapon-carrying stallions. What genre? Uh, Punk. Although, I mean, it was also called New Wave Punk is what I I would have considered it, I guess. Gosh. Like, like gregarious punk. (laughs) Elvis Costello. Late 70s. Last year's model. My aim is true. One of his first three. Probably about the same time Leave Rome came out. (laughs) Gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. My aim is true. Last year's model. Um, This year's model. This year's model. Gosh, why can't I remember that name? Uh, Weapon-carrying stallions. <laughs> Gosh, why can't I remember that album? Armed horses, armed horses. Armed Gosh. horses. And I screwed up. That wasn't my last one. I had one more. I just totally skipped right over it. So, Gosh, uh, armed horses. I got it. Okay, armed horses. Ah, okay. Oh. So two... Um, you have I got two more. Two more and I have one more. Okay. This one should be... Hopefully easy. <laughs> Van Morrison has the longest tummy ache ever. <laughs> the longest tummy ache. <laughs> um, acid reflux weeks? <laughs> Get close. <laughs> Gastral weeks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good okay. alright here's my last one now this is actually my last one this is a New Order album about 
Deadly Sins and a Men's Fashion Accessory. Ties. What is it? What's the actual name? Lies and Corruption. Is it Ties and Corruption? It's Power, Corruption, and Ties. Power, Corruption, and Ties. Okay. I got the big one. Good job. All right. (laughs) This might be my favorite of them all. Nick Cave is very proud of his lawn. Very proud of his lawn? (laughs) Okay. And the grass saw the angels? <laughs> pretty that good. That would work, but that's not it. That's oh, that's good. the novel, though. And the grass saw the Yeah, that's right. Avatar Moe's. Um, <laughs> what's the clue again? <laughs> Nick Cave is very proud of his lawn. What decade? Uh, it's probably late 80s. The good lawn. You're right there. You're right there. That's the right album? Change one letter. What is it? The Good Sod. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fun one. I hope hope people haven't just sort of fast-forwarded through those, but if they did, whatever. (laughs) Hopefully you can edit that to make that somewhat comprehensible. (laughs) I don't think that's possible. There's only so much you can do. I don't care. Okay. I love them. I'm I hope you guys don't them. mind. We uh, I have we have a lot of fun making those. So yeah, <laughs> you might see a lot. You might hear a lot more of that, <laughs> or you might unsubscribe. <laughs> okay. Uh, for the audio round, uh, this is just going to be five tracks. All I need the artist title of the song and uh, the theme. What binds them together? So pretty simple. These are going to be. You've even got a lot of vocals in this one. So here we go. Track one. Okay. What do you think? I think I got most of it. I think 
there's a couple song titles I'm a little iffy on, but I'm pretty sure I got the theme and I know all the artists, so I'm good. All right, are you ready for some turntable talk? Always. Everybody is talking at me. I don't hear a word they're saying. Only the echoes of my mind. My love affair with Waffle House started with a bad decision. A hundred bad decisions, actually. In a shady West Memphis, Arkansas motel room, Joe and I and our mutual friend Yetzko decided to try to drink one shot of beer every minute for a hundred minutes. Sounds easy, right? It was the eve of our greatest musical pilgrimage, the day we would visit Sun Studios, the Stax Museum of American Soul Music, and Graceland all in one day. Spirits were high and inhibitions non-existent. We blared rock and roll and soul music out of our laptop and started our journey to the join the less than illustrious Century Club. Though Yetzko and Joe gracefully bowed out around the 70th minute, I took down 100 shots of Keystone Light in 100 minutes, and then a few extra just to show off. And then I passed out, or I puked, or both. I, I have no recollection, and all the photos have been locked away, thankfully. What I do remember is the next morning, as a mystery train ran through my brain, a hangover, no doubt these days, would have killed me dead. I was undeterred to see the greatest musical meccas that we had driven over a thousand miles to pay homage at. But I was going to need grease, lots of it, and fast. Fortunately, across the interstate from our motel that now smelled of dead hobo laced with turned mayonnaise and keystone light, a shoebox-shaped building beckoned us. The black and yellow checkered sign called me by my name like a siren made of over-easy eggs, syrup, and burnt coffee. We stumbled in and took our places in the laminated plastic booth. In no time, we were ingesting life-affirming diner fare, fueling us for a quest ahead and forgiving me for past indiscretions. Now, I'd never been to a Waffle House. Allegedly, there was a Waffle House somewhere in the Lost Highways of Colorado, but I'd never seen it. And I never really traveled through the South, where the Waffle Houses stand proudly at almost every exit. So I had no idea how delicious the comfort food was, especially in a drunk or recently drunk state. And I had no idea how the jukeboxes graced every restaurant, chocked full of amazing Waffle House-specific 45s. Yetzko, as I remember, decided to go ahead and play some music, probably to see how the pounding of my head would respond. He played the most annoying songs he could find, all of them bad country songs about the joys and pleasures of the Waffle House. They were terrible, and yet proved to be a beacon of delight for years to come. So today, the story of the tunes made exclusively of the Waffle House, by the Waffle House, and for the Waffle House. Songs about truckers and toast and testimonials. Songs with grit about grits. Songs that you can listen to smothered, covered, chunked, diced, peppered, capped, topped country, or all the way. Today, the story of Waffle Records. The now ubiquitous Southern 24-hour diner started with a very simple idea. Steal the best ideas from other successful diners. The first Waffle House opened on Labor Day weekend of 1955 in Avondale Estates near Atlanta, Georgia. The restaurant was conceived and started by Joe Rogers Sr. and Tom Forkner. Rogers had started as a short-order cook, rising to regional manager of the Memphis-based diner chain called Toddle House, not just for children anymore. The entrepreneurs took the most successful parts of the other restaurant chains, cheap fast food, open 24 hours by major thoroughfares, low-key dine-in atmosphere with breakfast food available all day and night. 
They named the restaurant after the most popular menu item, and a legend was born. The Waffle House chain grew fast. By the late 1960s, they had almost 30 eateries. Now there are over 2,100 locations in 25 states from Ohio down to Key Largo, Pennsylvania to Arizona, Waffle Nation. The Waffle Houses never close. FEMA actually has a Waffle House Index for assessing how bad a natural disaster is by the status of the nearest ravaged Waffle House. Full menu means everything isn't too bad. Limited menu means there was some serious damage. If the Waffle House is closed, the situation is seriously dire. At that point, it's time to put Bruce Willis on a rocket in a last-ditch effort to save the planet by hurtling him toward an asteroid. Roger Sr. wanted his restaurants as uniform as possible. He made the waitresses and cooks dress in old diner fashion with classic yellow and black color combination. He posted rules at each store that discusses ordering and seating procedures and stresses that these are family-friendly establishments where obscene or offensive language, jokes, and clothing is not permitted. Though honestly, I both witnessed and participated in these outlawed activities during late-night Waffle House excursions myself. Rogers also placed a jukebox in every location chock full of 45s featuring modern hits and classic songs. The jukeboxes were part of the atmosphere. Eventually, Rogers decided he wanted a little of his own gravy blended into the music. He saw in these jukeboxes not only an opportunity for making a few bucks off of late-night revelers wanting to hear Dwight Yoakam or Keith Sweat, but that he could place 103-minute commercials in every jukebox that would set the mood and evangelize the glories of Waffle House. In 1981, Rogers started his own record label, Waffle Records, with the sole purpose of populating his restaurant's jukeboxes selection with wholesome, charming Waffle House ditties, propaganda in the form of bubblegum music delights. He just needed a musical genius, or at least someone who could steal song styles with great ease and nominal pay. The mastermind behind the majority of the stable of Waffle Record recordings got a start in a deliciously ironically named band, Wild Butter. Keyboard player Jerry Buckner formed the outfit in 1970 in Akron, Ohio. They signed a contract with United Artists and released one album of bright, fun, wah-wah-laced, English-sounding psychedelic pop. The cover, which is amazing, is a giant monolithic stick of butter floating across a sunset. It's basically how the sun sets in Wisconsin, I hear. And the band broke up almost immediately after the LP dropped, and Buckner moved on to more non-dairy musical adventures. He met up with a fellow Akronite, Gary Garcia, and they found they had a knack for the novelty. The duo moved to Atlanta to try and eke out a living writing jingles and doing vocal work for commercials, while also trying to find success in writing silly songs. They had a couple of near misses. The first song was called Gotta Hear the Beat, released as Animal Jack. The song, which rivals some of Tiny Tim's finest work in its ability to infuriate the listener with the title of the song repeated several hundred times until the narrator is taken away to a padded room and hopefully euthanized. Uh, it's a lot like another, much more famous novelty song about a certain short Frenchman. Anyways, have a listen. much more success with a Christmas song, Merry Christmas in the NFL, released as Willis and Vigorous, which imagines Howard Cassell as a less racist Santa Claus. 
The tune inexplicably hit 82 in the Billboard charts in the winter of 1980. Finally, the inspiration that Garcia and Buckner had spent a decade seeking came with thunderous blips and beeps. As they cruised the town, the two fellows noticed that all the kids seemed to be flocking to arcades to pump quarters in giant machines with bright-colored screens. Deciding this might be a good idea for a disco pop song, they feverishly penned an ode to the circular, ghost-chomping king of the industry, and they called it Pac-Man Fever. labels passed. Nonetheless, Buckner and Garcia released the song locally, got the song played on a morning show, and much like when Pac-Man noms a power pellet, things turned around quickly. CBS decided to take a chance on a full-length album, but wanted all video game songs. So Buckner and Garcia set out to learn all about the modern technology, and they recorded samples live from the machines. The ensuing album contained songs about Frogger, Defender, and Centipede. Thrust into the national spotlight, seemingly every Blinky, Pinky, Inky, and Clyde bought a copy of the novelty LP as it sold over 2.5 million copies. It even inspired a German-language version called Pachmann Fieber. The second single from the LP, Do the Donkey Kong, got barrel-rolled by consumers and made no impact at all. Buckner and Garcia tried to get CBS to release their next single, E.T. I Love You, but they passed despite allegedly Mr. Spielberg giving his own blessing to the song. The game wasn't over for the duo yet, and they were recorded a significant number of songs for various projects and products, including the amazingly chipper theme for WKRP in Cincinnati. They also self-released an album called Now and Then to no success, and eventually they wound up back in Atlanta looking for work with jingles and commercial work. That's when Rogers entered the picture. He had a specific task for them in mind. We need songs about diner food that sound like other songs that aren't necessarily about diner food. And we need a lot of them. Fortunately, Buckner was up to the task. From the early to mid-80s, Waffle House Records produced about 40 songs on 25 to 30, 45 RPM discs to play exclusively in their restaurant's jukeboxes. The songs incorporated broad ranges of styles that were often almost direct rip-offs of other artists. Remember how Waffle House pretty much started by cribbing the best parts of restaurants? Pretty much the same idea. The stories in the songs tell of love affairs with certain menu items, the warmth of a lovely Christmas spent with family at a Waffle House, the pride of being part of the Waffle House team, and more. So much more. Rogers had very high standards for getting the songs pressed. If they were too much like a commercial, they'd get 86 The final approved songs are often disasters, but they are never not worth hearing. And while Jerry Buckner wrote, produced, and recorded a large amount of the original songs, a lot of musical talent was needed to top off these cups of warm joy. Most notably, besides Buckner and Garcia, who had moved to Florida but still contributed to some tracks, was Christian Chanteuse Mary Welch Rogers, who was married to the founder and recorded one of the first releases, Waffle House Family One. Just say 
good morning. Good morning. The Waffle House way. I like it that way. We've got eggs anyway. You like them 24 hours a day. She also sang one of our personal favorite tunes, Why Would You Eat Grits Anywhere Else? There was Dandy Jones, who was an occasional collaborator of Buckner's and sang on two of the most popular Waffle House songs, Raisins in My Toast, a blatant but glorious parody of Frankie Valli's Sherry, and also Last Night I Saw Elvis at the Waffle House, which is exactly like that. Here's an homage bouche of each. There was also the blue-eyed soul singer Eddie Middleton who sang in R.C. and the Moon Pies while attending Valdosta State College in the late 60s. He wails about the history of the business on the track Waffle House Doo-Wop. Way back in the 50s, so long ago There were two dreamers, their names Tom and Joe They built a business, a business to last With hard work their motto also Billy D. Cox, who apparently had quite a following in Georgia and may, according to his wife, be in the Atlanta Music Hall of Fame. Impossible to verify. Anyway, he recorded a couple more classics. One is the tearjerker trucking song, Special Lady. With coffee that's fresh like the morning, she'll smile when I walk through the door. All it took was just one time to meet her. Now I'm not a stranger no more Special lady Waiting on me at the Waffle House She's amazing Calling all those orders out And possibly the most precise 
of all the Waffle House tunes and as close to math rock as they ever got. It's called, There's 844,739 Ways to Eat a Hamburger at Waffle House. Yeah, I barely walked in off the street when a waitress said, How, won't you have a seat? You know that Waffle House, they show are a friendly bunch. I sat down in a booth right next to a window, picked up that tipping good food and menu. Man, I could have eaten breakfast, dinner, and lunch. She told me that the cook's name was Bill. I asked him, what's that I spell on the grill? He grinned and said, it's a double quarter pounder with cheese. Well, I said, that's it. I'll order one, too. But the waitress said, just before you do, tell me, how would you like to have that burger fixed, please? Well, I shrugged my shoulders and said, whatever you got. She looked at me and mumbled, what? I found out fast. That was the wrong thing to say. That figure is verifiable. The Waffle, the Waffle Records execs hired a Georgia Tech mathlete to calculate the exact number of permutations of the Waffle House burger, and you can see the results on the 538 website. It's clearly a Jerry Reed imitation, and maybe the most fun of all of the songs. All in all, these comprise a solid collection of songs, all with joyful sing-songy lyrics and brilliant-ish titles like Waffle House Hash Browns, I Love You, Sauce Master, Over Easy, Grill Operator, It's a Great Waffle Day, Good Food Fast, I'm Cooking, and Make Mine with Cheese. Buckner has said there are at least another 10 lost Waffle House songs that didn't make the cut. You can hear snippets on a website that Buckner created dedicated to these leftover gems. Since the original 45s were released late in the vinyl era, the restaurants eventually switched to CD jukeboxes, and by 2012, those touchscreen internet monstrosities that we see everywhere today. However, Waffle Records has yet to cease releasing music exclusively for their greasy spoons. The head of the label, Shelby White, even emphasizes that the songs likely won't be radio hits, but are a critical aspect of the experience and atmosphere. They've branched further into different genres, including fine bluegrass songs about Waffle House steaks called, eerily enough, Waffle House Steaks. There's a certain kind of hungry when only a steak will do. And for 50 years at Waffle House, we've proven that it's true. If you want a steak that satisfies, they're not that hard to find. They're on the road anywhere beneath that yellow sign. They grill them right, they grill them hot, they grill them while you wait, and you guarantee to love them with our special marinade. The very best T-bones and strip will melt right in your mouth, and steak and hungry people get together at the Waffle House. And smooth R&B songs, mostly about modern dating and cheesy eggs.
knows exactly how much money goes into Waffle Records. Apparently less than 1% of all songs played on Waffle House jukeboxes are from these records. During a recent venture, I went ahead and threw a dollar in the machines and saw that Waffle Records were highlighted on the main screen. I played a few choice cuts, much to the delighted and pitying snickering of staff and diners alike. <laughs> Raisins in my toast was particularly um, notable. What makes the music especially nice is that there's an authenticity in the self-made nostalgia. Much like the diner, these are not original, nor do they pretend to be. It ain't Johnny Rockets or Gunther Tooties. There's no shtick. When you are at a 24-hour diner with cheap food located along the side of this nation's interstates, there's nothing fake about it. Anyone, and I do mean anyone, with a few bucks has a place. It's not a waffle hut or a waffle shack or a waffle palace. It's a waffle house. A waffle home away from home where people are welcomed and comfortable. I think these tracks do a good job in conveying the acceptance and warmth of the place. The mystique of Waffle House hasn't been lost to modern non-restaurant produced music. Americana stalwarts like the Handsome Family mention toast and eggs and hash brown at Waffle House in their classic Lake Geneva. Kanye West, Big Boy, Two Chains, Childish Gambino, Jay-Z, and multitudes of others have rapped fondly about the pleasures of late night breakfasts. Needless to say, modern country is absolutely riddled with references. Artists from nearly every genre have paid homage to the places that have fed so many hungry musicians all-star breakfast in the wee hours of the mornings as the moon rose over their hammies. Uh, uh, wait, that's Denny's. I remember a show where Calvin Johnson of Beat Happening and Dub Narcotic discussed how he uh, played three songs every time he stopped and ate at Waffle House. At least one of them had to be a house-produced track. Recently, Sturgill Simpson and Stephen Colbert teamed up to play No Shrews, No Shirts, No Knuckleheads to be released on every Waffle House jukebox. Well, you want some good food when you're not out hens. The big yellow sign is your new best friend. They got waffles and bacon and coffee too. But an all-star breakfast comes with some room. Cause this ain't no waffle zoo, it ain't no waffle barn. It's a place of waffle business run with style and charm. Save that rowdy biz for the other waffle shops. Follow the rules or someone's calling the cops. Well, don't say no swears. Don't write on the wall. You can have your fun, son, but don't have a brawl. No spitting, no, no yelling, no slipping, sliding. If you're gonna get sick, you better head outside. Don't sleep in the food, saving for your bed. No shirt, no shoes, no knucklehead. The original 45s are tough to find. They were never released commercially, and even though there were thousands of restaurants with the uh, 45s, they're still very rare and collectible, going from, I've seen anywhere from 15 to up to $50. There is a small, very small, but mighty coldish contingent of, record, of waffle record collectors who will not rest until they get their syrupy hands on every waffle record. The company did make a couple compilation CDs that were available only via mail order, but we are certainly in need of some intrepid record uh, label to conjure up some yellow and black wax to make sure these fantastic relics of consumers' creation aren't lost in time. I know I'd be the first in line. So if you're in the South, do us a favor. Stop by the nearest Waffle House, play a few waffle tracks, and tip your hard-working waitresses. This is one institution that this country needs to hang on to. 
I think we should try to buy the copyright of these and re reissue them ourselves. We don't need, we shouldn't have to wait that long for somebody else to take care of it. It's got to be done. I don't know if Waffle House knows about the vinyl revolution. It seems like uh, there might be a, a gap in knowledge between the waffle executives and the and the the people. Never underestimate the diner executives. <laughs> I'll say this about these songs: I have listened to many, many waffle songs in the last few weeks to the point where I've almost gotten kicked out of the house. Like, like it was there's a there's a waffle waffle statute of limitations, and I I passed it. So um, I will say this: they're not the world's greatest songs, but they. Boy, they drill right into your heart. <laughs> they drill right into your heart, and <laughs> like syrup and butter. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and they're so they're so fun, and they're so fun. But I, I when I went last week, and I went to a Waffle House, and I played a couple played a couple songs on the jukebox, and the waitress who was serving me and the cooks were laughing. Where they were laughing at the song, and they were mocking it, and, but they were loving it. It seemed like the best time they had. Did it seem like they knew the songs? No. No, I don't think anybody okay. plays these songs. Okay. I don't know, but it didn't seem like it. It's it's kind of fun because you have to go to one of the Waffle House to hear the songs, unless you go on the internet or something. But if you want to hear them in their natural environment. All right, I think it's time to move into our songs for the show. Okay, I'm going to open up with a song from someone everybody knows. It's Buck Owens with a song called Who's Gonna Mow Your Grass. Who's gonna dry your big blue eyes day after day? Who's gonna jump when you say frog? Who's gonna bow and scrape? After I've gone away Who's gonna kiss you And who's gonna miss you Who's gonna hold to your hand Who's gonna chop Your candle in wood After I've made new plans Hey, who's gonna be your man Who's gonna bring you Oh, 
Buck Owens with 1969's Who's Gonna Mow Your Grass off of Capitol Records. And it was a number one hit. And actually from 63 to 67, Owens had 12 number one singles, but it was nearly two years before his next one, which was this song. Despite its unorthodox country sound, it is and was incredibly popular. And it stayed at number one for two weeks. Now, the 45 that you just heard sounds different than any other version. So the CD reissues and especially the, the LP, which was the Buckaroos in London. So this was Buck Owens' last single ever recorded in mono. The stereo version is heavier on the fuzz guitar, which sounds so great, uh, but that harpsichord and the rhythm are buried pretty far into it. Now the one you heard is, I think it's just far superior because it combines all three of those aspects, the harpsichord, the rhythm, the fuzz guitar, into um, sort of like what the Bakersfield sound would be coming out of the birds. Buck Owens wrote the lyrics, the fuzz guitar obviously played by Don Rich. I'm not sure whether the harpsichord was Don Rich as well, but that's my guess. I have had this 45 for a long time, but it wasn't until I was listening to Cocaine and Rhinestones, that podcast that I, I really love. He did uh, two episodes on Buck Owens and Don Rich, and in there, um, he talks about, he mentions this song, and he's, he talks about how it's not even the first fuzz song in country, so it's not that weird that it was such a hit. He says that um, Sanford Clark had a hit of, on a fuzz song called Go On Home, and then there's a Marty Robbins one, and he talks about how at the same year, that was 1960, Grady Martin was recording with Marty Robbins when a preamp went bad right before a bass solo, and everyone thought it sounded really cool. And that ended up being a Marty Robbins song called Don't Worry, which was number one for 10 weeks. So it's not crazy that this actually kind of caught on. It's not, you know, it's a great, great song. It just sounds different than what we would have expected. Don Rich, um, if you don't know, was uh, just one of the best guitarists ever. He joined the Buckaroos in 1960, dropped out of college to do it. In 62, Rich and Owen, Don Rich and Buck Owens created this new sound for them that they referred to as a freight train sound. This involved a change in the snare drum technique and um, also they changed the stand-up bass to an electric bass, the upright bass, um, to electric. This is what became known as the Bakersfield sound. They, the, Those two created it and it's been copied ever since. It was this sound that Rich excelled at, becoming one of the best guitars in any genre at any time. Um, and in 1974, unfortunately, Don Rich died in a motorcycle accident, and Bo Buck Owens just really never recovered, um, losing basically his really one true music partner and equal. Uh, pretty sad story about about him him dying, because they could have done a lot more together, too. Yeah, that song is it's just amazing. <laughs> I love that song. It's, it's kind of alien. Like, <laughs> there's something... There's something that throws you off about it, but it's, it's, it's such a fantastic song, such a fun song. All right, uh, my first song is by a lady named Diane Colby, and it's called Holy Man. You know you, you're the one who said I can fly, I can fly. I know you, you're the one who knows when I will die. I will die, I will die, 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 holy man, holy man, holy man, holy man, let me run down your fingers, 
who said faith in me faith in me you know me i'm the one who said i believe i believe i believe oh 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 holy man holy Again, that was Holy Man by Diane Colby. It was off her self-titled record from 1973 that was released on CBS. Uh, Diane Colby was a woman who was caught in two worlds. She grew up in a a strict Christian house playing gospel music and attending church every Sunday, but she spent her Saturdays and Fridays playing out at clubs and dance halls. And she spent a lot of time playing around Texas and got some notoriety, mostly from her amazing earth-shaking voice. Uh, At some point, Clive Davis of CBS heard her or heard a recording of her, and he absolutely fell in love with her and her voice and signed her to a deal almost immediately. So she showed up at the um, CBS recording um, studio, and she was barefoot. She had an acoustic 12-string guitar, her dog, and a lucky bar of soap that she used to stomp on while she was playing. So she recorded there in a couple other places, and she recorded, uh, released one recording, which uh, contained both gospel songs and kind of secular love songs. And the album was kind of strange. It was too Christian for the hippies with their Eastern leanings. Um, There's a song called Jesus, Oh Jesus. And it was just too out there for conservative country and folk fans. It had a boot on the cover and had songs about reincarnation. Nonetheless, the music was amazing, and Holy Man was her only chart-topping single, uh, her only charting single, not topping, made it to 67 on the U.S. Billboard and charted in different countries as well. It's such a fantastic and also a little bit strange song. Based on the strength of the single and her album, she, she got to open for John Denver on a tour, and that was when John Denver was huge. Flying high? He was, he was Rocky Mountain High. <laughs> and so he, um, yeah, he, uh, uh, she uh, opened for him and she kind of uh, got into that rock and roll lifestyle and she got very weary of it real quick. She had an unpleasant encounter with, you know who, the Mafia, which always seems to be popping up, involved in music. And she was a few rooms down from Janis Joplin, who was her good buddy, uh, when Janis Joplin overdosed and died. 
that really, really uh, shook her, and she quickly left the business, and she was basically unable to publicly perform for years because she had these contract issues with CBS. And she seemed fine with that. She spent her time singing at church or singing at funerals or for benefits for needy people. Despite this, many people, including Clive Davis, kept trying to persuade her to record again, which she never did. Uh, there's rumors that there's some archive songs out there, but they haven't seen the light of day. It's a real shame because her talent and her passion and her voice are just remarkable. The fantastic music blog Aquarium Drunkard recently wrote a piece on her, and that's where I got a lot of this information. And it's certainly the whole album is worth checking out if you're interested in that. My second song is by a band called Anamonon, I guess. And the name of the song is Portland. Anamonon was a band formed in 1997 by Ned Oldham, who was a brother of Will Oldham, who uh, Joe and I are both giant fans of. Um, I think Joe has almost Will Oldham's whole collection on vinyl. Anyways, this is Ned Oldham, uh, and he had a bit more of a kind of a southern rock, straightforward type sound than his brother, uh, what Palace was putting out at the same time. 
And so they put out a country rock record all about Mother Goose nursery rhymes, and they put out another album all about Robert Louis Stevenson's a Guard, a Children's Garden of Verses. And I really don't know that much about him. Joe had this single called Portland um, that he put on a mixtape for me a million years ago. I just really, really like the song. I don't know much about it. Uh, it came out in 1999 on Lo-Fi Records, or Lo-Fly Records. And I don't know if it's about Portland, Oregon, or Portland, Maine. It's probably about the Portland neighborhood in, in Louisville. Uh, that would be my guess anyways. But it's kind of a fun song, but it's also slightly disturbing. And I'm really not sure why I like it so much. But I do. <laughs> it's a good one. I don't know anything about it. I know more about his other brother, Paul, just because he's produced a lot of stuff. But yeah, the Ned Oldham stuff, I don't know much other than... He played on a lot of Will Oldham albums, or up- yeah, he played, but it, yeah, he didn't. You know, he was a collaborator, but he he kind of did this band, and I don't, you know, they just never really got that famous. I guess I don't know. They were good. All right, my last track is by a guy named Jimmy Little, and the song is called "The Colored Lad." My name is Jimmy Little and from Monaco Lake I came The charming little spot along the coast With its mountains and the hills, lovely lace and weeping doves That make the sweetest music all the day I am an honest colored lad and do work I'm not afraid To please you I'd rather sing or dance I'd do anything you say if you'd only name the day that you'd only give us colored lads a chance. I came to Sydney trying hard to get some work. I traveled through the city night and day. I went from place to place with starvation in my face And the people said no coloreds are employed I'm an honest colored lad and to work I'm not afraid To please you I'd rather sing or dance I'd do anything you say if you'd only name the day That you'd only give us colored lads a chance I'm an honest colored lad and to work I'm not afraid To please you I'd rather sing or dance I'd do anything you say if you'd only name the day That you'd only give us colored lads a chance That was Jimmy Little with a song called The Colored Lad. I have this album, or this song, on a compilation called Buried Country on Australia's Flippin' Yeah Records, but distributed in the States by Mississippi Records. The compilation is from this year, and it is a collection or an anthology of Aboriginal country music. Very similar, I think, um, or somewhat similar to what the Nigerian country one we did uh, that Ryan played a song from a few weeks ago. This song was originally recorded in 1958 as a B-side to a song called Oh Lonely Heart, but very, very few copies are known to exist. This was uh, re-recorded for the first time, reissued, from a copy recently found by a collector. The song itself was written by Jimmy Little Sr., Jimmy Little's father, who was a vaudevillian song and dance man in Australia, basically. 
this entire compilation, this Buried Country, was is based on a book also called Buried Country by Clinton Walker, who has another book about Aboriginal music. Um, that one is specifically about black women blues singers of of Australia. And then he has a book about Australian punk and post-punk and even a biography on Bon Scott. So I just got this album, so I haven't started reading his books, but I, I would like to go into the the Clinton Walker books and start reading them. This this collection is great. And the Buried Country book comes with a two-CD collection of uh, a lot of the songs that are on the LP, but a lot that aren't. It looks really good. Well, those are our songs, and um, I guess we've got one more piece of unfinished business. We've got some trivia. I'm going to go ahead and play these again. Five, five tracks. All I need are I need the artist, song, and then at the very end, what's the theme? Here we go. Track one. Okay, what do you got? All right, the first track is R.E.M. with the song Ebo the Letter. Yep. The second track is Michael Jackson with Say Say Say. Yes. The third track is The Silver Jews. I think the name of the song is People or People Say or something like that. Yep. People, People. okay, good. The fourth song is Bjork. I don't know... Uh, the name of the song. It's I've Seen It All. I've Seen It All. Okay. And the fifth song is, and this one took me, took me a lot of brain power to pull this one out of the old uh, filing cabinet. Who'd but, you call uh, it then? <laughs> <laughs> this is Lou Reed with Street Hassle. And so the theme, which I picked up after the first two songs, I think, and really helped me with the last ones, was that they all, uh, every song contains a guest musician. 
Ebo the Letter, Patti Smith sings on, Say 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 has the guy who's impersonating Paul McCartney on it. Um, the Silver Jew song has Malcolmus. Does the Bjork song have Tom York, the Radiohead guy on it? Is that? Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And then, of course, Bruce Springsteen rapping on Street Hassle. There you go. Very good. So uh, that brings us to the end. Um, a couple things. If you would not mind, and you guys have been awesome about this, please go ahead and rate us on iTunes. I um, updated my phone, and it's a lot easier to do podcast ratings and reviews now. And that just apparently helps us out uh, find another uh, or getting our name out to other people. Or um, tell a friend, somebody who loves music or loves collecting records, see if it's something they might like. As always, please, please, please go out and support um, support people who make music or bring you music or sell music. This only works if we are, you know, telling people to, to go out and buy records and, and enjoy it. It's, you know, collecting's part of the fun. And so please uh, spend some of your hard-earned cash um, going to Waffle House. And then after you go to Waffle House, go ahead and pick up a few records. <laughs> yeah, if you can, after the bathroom. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> you'll need it. So, and also, um, follow us on Twitter, Facebook. Very easy to find us. Uh, I referenced a, a book and a blog. Uh, we'll put a link to that Clinton Walker book um, on our on our notes and on our Facebook page. And if you get a chance, you should listen to that Cocaine and Rhinestones after you listen to all of our episodes. He's oh, so good. He's he's kind of doing what we want to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he's. He's like us with talent. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, he, and he seems a, like a, a really great nice show. guy. Yeah, I emailed him recently. Just seems like a like a good good human being. Yep. Um, all right. Well, we do appreciate you listening and and supporting. And this is like we're over thirty episodes now. Yes. That means we brought uh, like a hundred and twenty songs into the internet ether. Yeah, and we haven't been shut down yet. So I guess we'll just keep rocking and rolling until uh, till the man comes after us. Anyways, uh, everybody have a great uh, day or night whenever you're listening to it, and we'll talk to you next time. Pass gas. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.